Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Forward Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and today I'm joined by our very special guest, Carrie Gallant. And we have a fabulous discussion in store for you. We are going to be talking about the minefield most ambitious women must navigate on their way to the top. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Carrie before we get started here. Carrie is a women's empowerment and leadership coach. She is the co-author of Conversation Secrets for Tomorrow's Leaders, 21 Obvious Secrets Leaders Do Not Use Enough. As a former lawyer and executive, Carrie truly understands the minefield many ambitious women navigate on their way to the top. She helps women business leaders to communicate and negotiate with confidence, earn their full worth and influence change with impact. Carrie is the founder of the Gallant Leader Institute and Earn Your Worth Leaders Lab. She is an accredited negotiation consultant with ENS International and certified in conversational intelligence and authentic leadership for teens. Carrie's art of negotiation for women model and training is featured in Tara Moore's acclaimed women's leadership program, Playing Big W North's 360 Leadership Program and the Women's Enterprise Center of British Columbia. Welcome, Carrie. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Lynn. I'm so delighted to be here. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to have you. And I want to say welcome to everyone who's joining us. And if you are joining us for that very first time, hey, take this moment right now and subscribe to Future Forward Sales wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what we're doing and love the shows, please take another moment and give us a five-star review. We would very much appreciate it. Okay, Carrie, so let's sort of dive in. I've given a lot of background about who you are and what you're doing, um, but give us some more information about where and how you got started and what you really do um, with your organization. Oh, well, thanks, Lynn. Wow, that's a big question, how I got started. Well, as you mentioned, I am a lawyer, and when I started out as a lawyer, I, I actually was working for the Ontario Pay Equity Commission as a mediator. So when I went to law school, I thought I wanted to get into representing parties and going to court and being the gladiator. And when I discovered that I was, when I got hired as a mediator, I discovered that I was actually helping parties to resolve these issues rather than fight them out. So coming together, how can you bring unions and employers, employers and disgruntled employees together to solve a problem without having to go through any form of litigation? And I discovered, wow, I kind of like this, right? I like the more, I guess, as a prophylactic approach to conflict rather than duking it out. Um, and along the way, I discovered, well, what I'm doing is I'm actually helping each of these parties to negotiate those outcomes that work for them. Now, fast forward a bunch of years, and I discovered that, wow, well, for many women, there's a gap. Well, I knew there was a pay gap because, hey, I was working at the Pay Equity Commission after all, right? Um, but the funny story is, actually, in my negotiation there, uh, I discovered a, a bunch of months later, about 18 months later, that I was being paid a lot less than the male that was hired at the same time as myself and three other women. We discovered that we were all paid a lot less. Now, I don't say this story, Lynn, to uh, castigate the Pay Equity Commission, but only because if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. 
right? Because that's what people do. That's how the system, that's how organizations and HR departments in particular, because it was the HR person for our parent ministry that was actually negotiating with us. And it never occurred to any of us women, we, we unpacked it later, it never occurred to us to ask for more when we were told that's the best we can do. He, on the other hand, took an entirely different track. And uh, many years later, I discovered, you know, it wasn't just us. In fact, it's the pay equity gap that exists. There's multiple reasons for that. There's systemic, there's, you know, the reasons why we have, we pay women differently. That continues to get today, both here in Canada, as well as in the U.S. and internationally. So we do see the gap continuing. But one of those factors that I like to talk about the most is the factor that each of us individual, especially women, can do for ourselves. We don't have to wait for our organization to figure it out, to to make collective um, uh, changes to close that gap or the governments uh, to legislate. Because even though it's been legislated in Ontario for a number of years, there's still a pay equity gap because those other factors are so strong, right? right? And what I discovered in about 2008, uh, through some research that uh, another lawyer colleague, well, not really a colleague of mine, I'd like to call her a colleague, Linda Badpock, had discovered was that women negotiated a rate far less than men do. Yeah. Especially in the academic world in which she was uh, responsible for, um, you know, people who were coming in and becoming professors. And that led to, a, you know, now we have a decade and a half of research that continues to show that there is a different rate of negotiation. And by the way, in my work with women entrepreneurs and business owners, I also see the same thing happening. Certainly there's a gap in terms of what women tend to get in terms of funding uh, from various sources, um, as well as in the rates in which they're negotiating for their businesses for themselves. The fascinating part, Lynn, is that one of the research pieces that came out about five years ago shows that one of the differences, the key differences that I talk about a lot is when is that men in their in their negotiation, whether they're negotiating for themselves or for others, they tend to be the same person. They tend to be the same negotiator. They tend to do the same things and get similar results. But for women, for many women, there's this disconnect. There's this massive disconnect between when we're negotiating on behalf of others or our organization or someone else's business and when we're negotiating on behalf of ourselves personally. Then there's a disconnect. And this ray, I, I reify this with my own experience talking with others anecdotally. When I first started talking about negotiation for women, women would say things like this. And Lynn, I cannot tell you how many times the exact words were coming out of these different women's mouths. Carrie, you know, I am top, I'm the top salesperson for my organization. I negotiate all day long on behalf of others, on behalf of my company, but I cannot, and here's the phrase, negotiate for myself out of a wet paper bag. I don't know what the wet paper bag was about, Lynn, but those very (laughs) words were often what was being said. And so this research actually reified what I was hearing anecdotally. Uh, And so when I started learning all this in terms of the, the research, I thought, wow, that's my story. And I have some expertise in negotiation now after being a mediator and becoming a negotiation consultant for organizations globally, I need to bring this to bear. I need to develop something and talk to my clients and work with my clients and speak about it. And I I tell you, you know, nothing gives me greater joy than having someone come up to me later on, whether they've heard me speak or they've been a client of mine and saying, wow, you know, I put these things into practice and what a difference. And the best thing 
isn't the money. It's the confidence I have that yeah. I can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. That confidence and assurance, and then you can apply that in all different areas of your absolutely. personal and professional, of course, your professional life. So, I mean, you've just, we're talking about that, the biggest challenge in the sense that, you know, women don't negotiate the same and they don't feel that they can, um, but it, you know, what else does it boil down to this, mm -hmm. the challenge that most of your clients face? Well, it's interesting. I, I think one of the many challenges that may, most of my female, my women clients tend to face is, you know, we live in a society, we live in a world that was designed by and for men, white men in particular, um, because we know the gap widens when we look at the racial um, and uh, gender orientation gaps, ability as well. Um, we see a very, we see the gap widen quite a lot. Um, and so we have what we're in this container, right? We're in this world where there's expectations on how we each ought to behave. There's also expectations on men, of course. And for women, many of those expectations are counterintuitive to becoming a leader. They're counter expectations to running a business. They're counter expectations to knowing what you want and asking for that and not being seen as a insert B word here um, or not being seen as, and I'm going to use this word, too ambitious. Yeah. Right? So when women are ambitious and showcase their ambition, we're often put where there's often a ceiling put on top of us to say, no, 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 that's not appropriate. Um, now we're seeing differences happen as we're growing as a, as a society, as we're growing as a culture for sure. But some of those gains are very incremental and very tiny over time. You know, I've been at this, this, this work overall for 30 years and the, the gains have been kind of big and then back and then big and then back. And, and the reality is, that women's presence in the workforce, whether it's working for someone else or having our own business, it's still new in our millennial expansion of, of our human history. And so when I say we're in this society that was designed by and for largely white men, we've had that white men and white men in particular and men have been the people for whom the system works, the organization society works for over two millennia. Right. And we are only, we as women have only really been on the game for maybe 100, 150 years. And so your grandmother and my grandmother, they may not have worked outside the home. I know mine, neither of my grandmothers did. My mother sure did. Um, and my mother was, is, was older when she had me already. So my grandmother, you know, that's a, that's a long time ago. Um, so what I'm saying this is because I can even look into my own mother's history, um, and I'm sure many of your listeners can. When when I was a child, when women in U.S. and Canada were allowed to have their own credit, their, their own credit cards and loans without needing a male signatory. Yeah, that's 1976. Yeah. It's not that long ago. Yeah, I know. It's scary. <laughs> it's very scary, and it wasn't even until the early 90s. And I'm going to go out on the limb here a little bit to talk about how what the changes we've gone through. It was still legal for a man to sexually assault his wife until the early 90s. It wasn't illegal. Let me put it that way. It wasn't illegal. So we've gone through so many of these changes, but we're still very new. So all these expectations sort of are there that are kind of like uh, 
let's call them guardrails around how we ought to be. And so even today, younger women who didn't grow up under those, um, those particular um, situations, well, their mothers and their grandmothers did. So we are still feeling some of those uh, implications yeah. of being in a society that's grown from A to maybe B, but we've got a long way to go before we get to Z or Z, um, <laughs> if, Z if that represents the place where we're going to achieve true equality and not just for women, uh, women of color, women of different orientations um, and men and women together, right? We want to Ideally, I think we want to get to that place. It's a long way away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so when we are talking about the, you know, the challenges that most women face when they're, um, you know, in this situation where they're working to negotiate and, they're, and they are ambitious and they want to achieve great things in their career, um, you know, why, you know, I mean, and you, we were discussing it, this, it, this seems like it's more urgent than ever uh, for mm -hmm. women to be able to um, you know, empower, assert themselves, you know, yes. um, take up that, that mantle of responsibility to move the, um, move us further down the alphabet. Yes, that's right. And, and I would say it's, it's as urgent, if not more urgent now, because we're going through such rapid change. Let's face it, we've always been going through change. And right now in our point in history, we seem to be going through a lot more rapid changes that are impacting us culturally, uh, both within nations and also within organizations. Um, so the change is something that, and, and the change that's being required of us to make uh, is really the, the change that many women women's leadership can really help to affect. And we've seen this happen throughout early days in COVID where we can actually point to uh, the data and research that shows that uh, women-led countries and women-led organizations during the early days of COVID tended to fare better, tended to fare better. And why is that? Well, many, many, many parts of the research and the data collection has pointed to women's leadership style being more open, compassionate, looking at what is the impact on the employees, looking at it more holistically, globally, perhaps through the ESG lens even as well, environmental, social, um, and governance uh, areas, uh, that women's leadership tends to look more holistically at organizations as opposed to, let's say, the single bottom line, the profit bottom line that has driven organizations for so long. Our corporate world, uh, perhaps even our governments, we could say, have been driven by that in reverse in terms of savings and the economy. Uh, well, the economy doesn't function when people aren't functioning. Organizations don't function when people are unable to function. And so this is where we see some of this critical time period. Um, but it's not only then, Lynn. I think we're, we're talking about an evolution. And if we are going to evolve as organizations, as cultures, we need to be looking at all of these different things. Even having those conversations uh, that we, we discuss in our book it is about looking beyond the self as the gener the generation the generative organism of change, but looking at how do we work together? How is collaboration? Many organizations have been talking about innovation, the importance of innovation, and now collaboration for the last decade or so. Well. 
here's the funny thing about getting to innovation and collaboration is we can't get there when we don't have connection between uh, between employees between employees and the leadership we we can't get to innovation when employees don't feel safe to share their great ideas yeah. we lose out on the brilliance that is right there in front of us if we don't have the ability to bring that forth so as i say women's leadership and ability to be in that arena is critical and women's ability to get into that arena is part of this minefield that we're t we were talking about to be able to get women through that minefield up until the senior leadership and and the c-suites in organizations and in governments um, is, is being able to help help them make that transition. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely see that as well because there's a couple other th facts that are out there that you know women-led organizations are actually more profitable um, because they do take a, a different view of the organization. And when you embrace you know, the culture and the, the people within the organization, you know, they feel more engaged they're therefore more productive mm -hmm. um, and also embracing the diversity of thought organizations that 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 um, that thrive on that in that type of environment that they actually thrive financially because then different viewpoints different angles different perspectives can come up and be uh, you know recognized and valued and considered uh, and that really creates a stronger you know, potentially product or service uh, as a result. And, you know, when you're looking at this as an individual, um, as a woman um, and this challenge, uh, and, you know, I also from my corporate career days, I know exactly the, you know, this fine line mm -hmm. that women have to walk, you know, to um, enter positions of leadership and then climb that, that corporate ladder in that sense, but even within a business environment, a small business also um, working in that arena as well. So, um, you know, when I'm thinking about this and what women have to face, you know, what is, what does these, these challenges and especially this challenge of not being able to negotiate uh, effectively, um, you know, how does this impact mm -hmm. their um, ability to reach their ultimate goal? Well, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's almost like a vicious cycle that we want to make a virtuous cycle. And when, so not, not a, we can simplify it fairly easy that when we don't negotiate, when we're hired for a job, then we start out with a lower salary. When we yeah. start out with a lower salary, it has twofold, well, more than twofold, but let's take twofold implications. The first implication immediately is that you might be making less than someone else who's doing very much the same or very similar work as you are. The second, okay, let's take three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add a third one there, Lynn. Yeah, the yeah. second implication is when it comes time for looking around for who's, who we want to promote to the next level, who are you going to look at? If you've got two employees who are doing the same work and one is already being paid more than the other, psychologically, what's going to yeah. happen? Yeah, the money equals worth, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. The money and equals worth. It's the same thing when you're looking to, you know, hire somebody new. Um, mm -hmm. When you start out at that lower range, that's going exactly. to impact, um, and it will impact what you get paid if you are promoted. Absolutely. Um, you're going to be being paid at, at again a lower rate. Yes. 
Absolutely. So that there's a financial impact right off the gate yep. that's immediately felt and will be felt in the next level. And it's complicated by that next level may even be elusive because you may not be seen as worthy, as 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 competent or, or as confident. Yeah because you're if you're if you're at a lower level the third implication can be actually perhaps more costly which is it eats away at a person's confidence you know i i, mean, I can't tell you how many times i've heard this had this conversation with many women who have discovered that they're paid less is it's even harder for them to go back and ask for more or to see themselves as worthy of that next level and in fact it doesn't even have to happen that way we see many cases where uh, you know, a senior leadership position might be posted and a lot of men will stick up their hands right away and many women will hold themselves back from applying for that because they don't see themselves as fully qualified if oh, they don't have yeah. 80 to 100 percent of the qualifications. Now, that research has been around for a while and we're still seeing it, though, even at the senior yeah. leadership level where many women will see themselves as oh, I'm not ready for that, in part because they've been told you're not ready for that next level. Um, you know, women tend, and this goes true in, in the um, entrepreneurial world when women are seeking, uh, women and men led businesses are seeking venture capitalist investment, that women and men tend to be judged on different questions. So men are often asked questions that relate to their potential, what they could potentially be achieving, what's their vision for the future, whereas women tend to be rated on their track record. What can you prove? And so if you haven't achieved it already, we don't think you're ready. Yeah. Well, if I haven't achieved it already, it's because I haven't been doing that job yet. <laughs> so it's counterintuitive. Um, so that's another place where, where women can find themselves blocked at that accession level, whether it's in a corporation or whether it's in the venture capital funding arena in terms of whether they can prove the track record. So I always, yeah. say, oh, I always say when you're getting ready for that kind of negotiation, get ready to prove both. Get ready for both conversations. Have the one on your track record that you've established and have the one on your vision for what you can achieve, what the potential value is that you are bringing to the table, that you can create. Right, right. And you can pivot the question to the vision um, yes. as you're going. I know that, um, you know, one of the things that are really uh, uh interesting about this conversation is also that you know you often within an organization i mean we've always there's also that's one of the rules is you don't really discuss what you're paid so it can mm -hmm. be that there's a complete lack of transparency so you have no idea that you're actually earning less mm -hmm. than than your male counterparts and then that there's some bogus reason for it um <laughs> so um i think that that's one of the things that um that there's still such a, a a huge lack of transparency um you know um that it's just like this is what you get paid everyone gets paid this everybody knows and you can have these conversations and it's you know the company um isn't going to penalize you or punish you for bringing this up and having these conversations. Yeah. So those are, I think, really important points as well as to, to take away that stigma that mm -hmm. you, you, know, you should be talking about this. This should be mm -hmm. out in the open. I totally agree with you, Lynn. And in fact, what's wonderful uh, change news where we've actually, as a, as a culture, both US and Canada have moved the needle on this is we're seeing new paid transparency legislation introduced in many provinces here in Canada 
federally here, as well as in the United States, and many states have introduced pay transparency laws, which require organizations to uh, show the, the, those pay levels. And coupled with that is the fact that some of the research has shown over, over the past decade that women do much better with negotiation, either initiating it and um, achieving their goals when they understand that there's something to negotiate. Um, right. When they understand that it's time to negotiate, and also that they have, they have the they have the data, they have the tools, and aren't left guessing, right? Otherwise, without tra pay transparency, many people are left guessing as to what they what they what they could be paid, not even what they should be paid, but what they could be paid based on what's the next level in the organization and what's that pay level there. Give me something to shoot for, right? Yeah. So, if we have KPIs that are introduced in organizations for performance, why not showcase the pay levels? Because that's also something for that individual now to shoot for in their career development. Right. And I think this is also true in, in the entrepreneur world too, Lynn, where many entrepreneurs are loath to discuss their profit margins. They might talk about their revenue, but they're loath to discuss their profit margins. And it's when we get together in masterminds and have these conversations that we can actually see, first of all, well, if she's doing that, maybe I could do that too. Um, and we can also sort of see, well, where might be there's some gaps that I want to fill. But if we're going around with blinders on because we don't have this information, it makes it a lot harder to achieve the goals that we might be ambitious to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that is a perfect uh, lead into my next question I wanted to ask you, which is what are the hidden critical success factors you deliver um, when you work with your clients? Wow. Uh, so while those critical success factors often are, you know, well, first of all, is, is to be doing the work, is to learning a process. Negotiation isn't something that we're born with. I mean, yes, yeah, some people have a certain level of charisma they might have developed or or grown up with. Um, we all are, you know, born with our physical bodies and we that those may change over time. Um, and, and, and at the same time, um, the critical success factors are what we do with what we have, what we do with what we have. And so when we're talking about things like being able to have great conversations with our teams, giving difficult feedback, um, negotiating, asking for more, there's a process to follow and negotiation is a process. So um, one of the critical success factors is to look at what do you, how are you approaching negotiation? I also talk about the, uh, the inner game as well as the outer game. And by that, Lynn, I mean that often it's the inner game that is blocking the success in the outer game. You know, high level athletes, well, even weekend athletes can benefit from looking at their inner game as well as their outer game. It's our it's often our mindset or what's going on with our emotions that are triggering things in our brain that are causing us to do old patterned habits yes. and things like that. So I do work on those types of things with my clients because when we can reach into a growth mindset and a possibility mindset, that's a game changer. And so then the process becomes that much easier to do because we haven't pre-decided that I don't think I can get that, right? I don't think I can, I think I'm only going to shoot for what I think I can get. Right, right. That's well, a ceiling already. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see that. I think that would be a very typical blind spot. Um, you know, the, some of the self-sabotaging things that you could do that are unconscious and uh, self-limiting beliefs. Um, I mean, would, am I hitting the, the, hitting the nail on the head, as they say, um, that these are typically uh, blind spots? 
Yes, yes, often, often. So when we don't, it's like if you want to hit the nail on the head, you have to know where the nail is. Yeah. <laughs> and have a tool. I mean, you can try it with your hand, but I, I think that might hurt a little bit. And so you, you, you find you find out what's the right tool, what's the best tool for hitting that nail on the head. Um, and maybe you have to learn a little bit more about the swing. Like I watch, I watch home renovation shows, and it always makes me laugh when I see the homeowner, the 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 person who's who's doing the renovations, gets the homeowner involved to do some of the work, and they the homeowner goes to hit the nail and completely misses and go over and over. It's not it's not a simple thing, right? We think it, the, the aphorism that we use is so time worn that we've forgotten that it actually takes some skill. It actually takes right. some practice to hit the nail on the head exactly where you need to do that. And right. so, you know, this is what we're talking about here, too, is, you know, what what is what am I missing? The blind spots that are behind where I can't see from my hands. And what, what are the tools and resources that I need in order to bring that forward and and to go forward with that into the direction I want to go? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, that I, I, I really like that. Just, I, I find it so funny when we're talking about hitting the nail on the head and I just sort of visualizing all the different things that can go wrong, but it's a perfect metaphor um, for the discussion today. So um, for everyone who's tuned in and who's listening, um, what's one essential action uh, that they can take um, right now today uh, for the women who are listening uh, to negotiate better or to navigate um the uncharted waters that they need to mm -hmm. to uh, step into their ambition. Um, what would you uh, suggest that they take action on? Uh, well, I'm going to go to a fundamental, Lynn. It, it's not necessarily it's not a snap thing. It's actually getting super clear on what it is you're wanting to achieve and why that matters to you, because those two things together are like jet fuel. They're like jet fuel. Without yeah. them, we're, we're rudderless and we're, it's like trying to hit the nail on the head, but you don't know where the nail is. Yeah. So oh, I want to hit that nail on the head, but you have no idea where the nail is or what wall it's in or, or anything like that. And so we want to get that level of clarity and as clear as you can, it's not perfect, right? There's no right answer. It's the right one for you. And that might actually, you might actually go, oh, well, you know what, now that I do that exercise or think it through, I actually don't want that. I want to go here instead. Well, that's an important thing to come to. You know, if I'm, if I'm making, put, I want to put my hat in the ring for this particular contract or this particular job, have you done the exercise to know whether that's even aligned with what's important to you? Right. So I'm going to leave that one there. It's not necessarily, it can be a small thing because in a moment you can just, you can look at it and go, is that really what I want? What is it that I really want? And Lynn, yeah. I want to say just a, a, a follow-up on that is if this question alone is really hard for you to answer, then we've got some work to do to unpack your sense of self-worth, that you are worth everything. You are worth having your own set of wants. It's worth having your personal desires. It doesn't have to be always about other people. And I know for many women, we can get caught up in that, oh, but I'm a people pleaser, or I just want to help <laughs> others. You know, the oxygen mask on the plane is always a good analogy, is you've got to be able to figure that out for yourself in order to help other people. Because if your needs aren't being met, you're going to feel overwhelmed, over, 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 overworked, burnt out, and then you're not good for anyone. So this is a key foundational fundamental question. 
Yeah, it is. And uh, it is uh, an ideal way to <laughs> close that. You got to help yourself first and you've got to have that direction so that you can then help and serve others and create more impact um, in their businesses and, and in their careers, in their lives. So, and in the community. So Carrie, thank you so much for sharing how to navigate the man minefield, <laughs> manfield. <laughs> Maybe that's not that's the Freudian slip there. Like. Yeah, yeah, on a minefield most ambitious women face on their way to the top. Um, I know that our listeners are going to want to know more about where and uh, how they can find you and connect with you. Well, thank you, Lynn. It's been a, a delight and fun to have this conversation with you. And uh, your your listeners can always find me through my website, which is gallantleader.com. Or you can try the gallantleaderinstitute.com where I have some of my courses and uh, summit recordings as well. Um, and so that's where you can find me. And on LinkedIn right. as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're going to provide all those links down below along with the link for you to be able to book a chat with Carrie. So we'll make sure that those are all a one click away. And I want to say again, thank you, Carrie. This has been such an informative discussion. Thank you for everyone who tuned in. And if you have ideas or comments, please, you can leave them down below. We love hearing your thoughts. Or if you have a topic or a question, you can email us at uh, I, what is our email? It's at join the conversation at petite And to stay current on all of our insightful advice, our breakthrough advantages, incredible episodes like the one we have just done today with Carrie, you can sign up for our weekly wisdoms newsletter at petite And again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in. And Carrie, thank you so much. This has been such an incredibly inspiring episode. Well, thank you, Lynn, and thank you for all the great work that you do as well.